So I want to start today by uh, telling a little bit of a story, maybe reminding you of something that's very familiar to you. I don't know. Um, there's a movie that came out a few years ago. Is, is anyone here a fan of Indiana Jones movies? Anyone? Okay. I wasn't, figured I wasn't going very far out on a limb asking that question. Well, one of my favorite Indiana Jones films is the third one, Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. I think it's a lot of fun. One of the things I like a lot about it is it, it adds this dimension to the film of Indy's family. So you get to meet uh, Indy's father, played by Sean Connery, um, and they have this sort of complicated uh, relationship. They don't always get along very well, but they certainly care deeply about each other. And so this film uh, centers around one of the passions of Indy's father. Indy's father, by the way, there are a few spoilers here, (laughs) just so you know, um, just so you know, but you know, it was the 90s, so it was a long time ago. Um, So you had your chance. All right, so it centers around one of uh, Indy's father's big passions in life, which was the story of the Holy Grail, which supposedly is the cup that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper. And according to myth and legend, this cup existed sometime, uh, but was lost. But if it could be found, you could drink from that cup, you could have eternal life, you would never die. Um, And so he'd been searching, he was convinced it was a real thing. Of course, in the movie, spoiler alert, it is a real thing. So by the time we get to the point in the story that I want to focus on, they've gone through all of these adventures, and they found out in the desert, in this sort of crescent canyon that you might miss, deep down in it, this temple carved into the side of the canyon. And they've gone in here. The problem is, though, to get to the grail, you have to go through three challenges. And Indy's father knows these challenges well. He has the clues and the, of how to get by them written in this little notebook that he keeps. Um, and so each person that the... Because you know in these stories, it's not just the good guys who want to find the grail, Right? So often the backdrop of Indiana Jones movies are the evil Nazis, right? So the evil Nazis are also trying to get a hold of this grail because they want to use it in their military, basically, and they want to live forever. You know, devious, devious, evil, evil, right? So um, the Nazis happen to already be there when they show up, and the Nazis have been sending unwitting fools into the cavern uh, to pass these little tests, and they're all dying, So finally, they decide the only person who has a chance of getting past these tests is the incredible Indiana Jones. So what they do is they turn, they shoot Indy's father, right? We are going to talk about the Bible eventually, I promise. They shoot Indy's father, right? He falls down, he's bleeding to death, and they say, all right, Indy, your only chance to save your father is if you pass these tests and bring back the grail, all right? So it's okay. He goes in for the first test. First test is called the breath of God. And the clue of how to pass this test is this. Only the penitent man will pass. So Indy goes into the cave. He's walking down the corridor. All of a sudden you hear this kind of like a breath of God thing happen. You don't know what's going on. And uh, so Indy's going, only the penitent man will pass. Only the penitent. Then they cut to Indy's father, who of course knows, only the penitent man shall pass. Only the penitent man shall pass. And so they go back to Indy and he's, he's going through that. And he goes, penitent man, penitent man, penitent man kneels. So he kneels and he rolls, and the, the breath of God is actually this giant blade that swings through him. Lots of spoilers here. Swings through, and he, he rolls through, and he gets through. He's like, okay, he made it through. Next challenge, the word of God, all right? And the clue is only in the footsteps of God will he proceed. And so Indy looks before him, and in front of him on the ground 
are all of these letters carved into stone like tablets that are all sort of put together. The floor is made of these letters. And you realize, oh, the name of God, Jehovah. You know, they cut back to, to Indy's dad. They cut back to Indy. He's like, so I will step and spell out the name of Jehovah, and I'll make it to the other side. So the first thing he does is step on a J. Clink! Falls out from underneath him. He looks down. You can see this giant chasm. He almost falls through, but he jumps back. And then they cut to Indy's dad, and he goes, Jehovah spelled with an I. Because it's in Latin. Okay, so Indy then spells out Jehovah in Latin, and he crosses over. Then he comes to the final challenge to get to the Holy Grail, which is called the Path of the Flood. Have you seen this? And the clue is only in a leap from the lion's head will it prove his worth. And I just want you to watch it. I won't tell you this one. You can let Steven Spielberg show this one to you. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. <laughs> what happens? Indy is holding his heart. You can feel his heart pounding, right? He sticks his foot out, out over this giant crevice or crevasse, depending on where you are in the world. What happens next? Well, it's uncertain. Yeah? Many of you have seen the movie. You know exactly what happens. But if you haven't, or the, if you can think back to the first time you saw this, you're like, what is going to happen? And in movies, the thing that, we, that, that pulls us in, whether it's an action adventure or whether it's a romantic comedy, whether it's a drama, whether it's relationally focused and there's no, it's not even plot driven, is the uncertainty. What will happen next? And we love that in movies. Good movies have this element. Otherwise, they're boring. But we don't so much love uncertainty in our own lives. Think about what it is you're striving for in your life, in your career. How much do you love the uncertainty in what your next job might be, or getting your first job, or those budget cuts that are coming at work, or the economy that's happening all around you? How much do you love uncertainty there, or in your love life? The relationship that you have, or the lack thereof, how much do you love the uncertainty there? Or that conflict that's been brewing that no one's talking about. Or that's very much out in the open and is unresolved. That uncertainty. What's going to happen? How are we going to work this out? Being a parent. Building a life. Having friends. Faith. These are all areas 
that given a choice, I think we would probably like to just nail it down. Wouldn't we? In uncertainty, it feels uncomfortable. And the idea of a leap of faith, like Indy has in this clip, really isn't that attractive. Or at least to very few of us, is it very attractive. But as much as we don't like it, as much as uncertainty makes us uncomfortable and we want to sort of root it out of our lives, what I'm going to argue today is that we need it. That it's good for us. And that just as in a a piece of art, a film, a story, it's the uncertainty that draws us in, that makes it compelling, that there's something about your life that's actually lost when you try and nail everything down. And that's what we're going to look at today. We've been in this series called 40 Days of Destiny where we're watching Jesus work with one person, a guy named Peter, every week taking him through this journey, helping him discover who he is, what he's made to do, setting him off to do that, putting him in a community that will support him. And this week, we're going to look at how Jesus specifically uses uncertainty to Peter's benefit. It makes Peter very uncomfortable at certain points. It's not easy. And my thought is, the reason we're looking at this, we've been talking about what is this for you in your life right now? Who are you made to be? What are you made to do? How can we help? How can we move forward together? My thought is that a lot of you at this point, you're still very uncertain about some of the themes we've been talking about. You're, you know, maybe you're getting some glimpses of, of who you are, what you're made to do, <coughs> and what that might mean. But it's very uncertain for you still. And for others of you, maybe you came into this series already with a really solid sense of who you are and what you're trying to do. You're already trying to do it. Or maybe you have some new senses and you're, you're setting out to do those things. I'm anticipating that at some point you're going to get stuck, that it's not going to go swimmingly well, that things will, as clear as they were in the beginning, suddenly become cloudy. And you might have moments, I'm anticipating you will, where you'll be wondering, where is God? I thought I was following him into this. I thought this is what he made me to do. All those exercises I did during that 40 days series pointed towards this. Now, why is this not working out? And so for you, wherever you are, in that continuum, this is important. This is important to know for life in general, no matter what you're trying to do. Certainty is highly, highly overrated. We're going to look at a story that focuses, (coughs) of course, on Jesus, but also on Jesus' interaction with Peter as he takes another step in this journey with Jesus. Let's read the story. I think some of you may have heard this before. This is Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and head on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Jesus. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have a little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed up into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, this is one of the most famous stories about Jesus. But it's also a story about Peter, too. And one of the reasons I think it's so famous is that it's full of drama. There's the miracle here, obviously, that everyone knows. But there's drama in this story. There's so much uncertainty. So the disciples, you can almost see someone writing a screenplay. They're, they're in a boat. It's dark because the sun is setting. It's very windy, right? And then when the disciples first see Jesus coming to them, walking on the water, they can't tell who he is. And they think he's a ghost. So there's that level of uncertainty. And Peter, I think, even highlights the level of uncertainty by saying to Jesus, if it's you, because he can't tell, tell me to come out on the water. And then Peter tries this very uncertain thing, walking on the water. And then as he does it, a very uncertain thing happens in that he starts to sink. So there's lots of drama. There's lots of uncertainty. But as uncertain as everything in this passage is, if you'll notice, there's a surprising element to this. So while there's all this uncertainty, the account and the way it's told sort of seems to indicate that quite possibly all of it, all the uncertainty, all the drama was actually orchestrated by Jesus. So first, Jesus sends his disciples out on the lake. He's the one that tells him to go on ahead without him, right? Next, Jesus waits until it's dark, and then he decides to go out to them in the middle of the lake. And then it's sort of like Jesus is setting the stage. So after all of this happens, once he steps in the boat again with Peter and the rest of the disciples, it says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. That's it. Okay, storm's over. Jesus is with us. You know, so it just kind of makes you wonder. You, we, we can't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say Jesus had a plan, and so he sent them out. But if you pay attention, it kind of seems like Jesus is sort of putting all these pieces in place. In fact, at the very least, I think we can say that uncertainty is something that Jesus doesn't alleviate. He certainly uses and perhaps even orchestrates in order to somehow bring some good to the people that he knows and loves. You see that? I think, and what we're going to talk about today is that God allows uncertainty, at the very least, he allows uncertainty as a gift in our lives, not as a curse. To flesh this out a little bit, I want to look at three particular ways we can see this happening in this story. And the first, I think this is important to know in a life of faith, but just also important to know in a life with other people, is that uncertainty provides the backdrop for deep relationships, not certainty. You know, we often think, you know, the more certain we are about the people that we know, the deeper our relationships will be. It's actually the opposite. There has to be some uncertainty in a relationship because depth doesn't come 
from knowing the facts. Depth comes from, from and through trust and trusting other people. Being vulnerable, that's a step of faith. That's a risk. That's a moment of trust that you place in someone else. And we all think that we need certainty when what we really need is trust wisely placed. And we see in this passage the scenario wrought with all sorts of uncertainty. We see Peter saying, Lord, if it's you, if it's you. And when he says this to Jesus, Jesus doesn't respond with the facts and say, you know, Peter, you must realize I am the son of God. And you can tell that from all of these prophecies in the Old Testament. Let me delineate them for you. There's this first. There's this first. There's this first. You may have heard this theology. Oh, that's hogwash. You should believe this theology. If you get all the things right about me, then you will certainly know that I am who I say I am. Jesus answers with one word. Come. It's an invitation. Jesus responds to uncertainty and doubt and concern with an invitation, not with an argument, not with a perspective, with an invite. Remember, that's where Jesus started with Peter in our very first week. Peter says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Jesus doesn't argue that point. (laughs) He just says, here's who you can be. I'll make you a fisher of men. And he says, come, follow me. An invitation. You know, in the darkest times in your life, the most uncertain times in your life, if you're trying to follow Jesus, when you turn to him, when you're in the most doubt, what you can expect is not an explanation, but an invitation. Jesus is always asking us to trust. Peter says, if it's you, Jesus says, come out on the water. You're uncertain, take a step into the uncertainty. Follow me is always the response. It's a cycle. It happens again and again. We're seeing, we can probably, maybe I should have done this. You can almost see this in every interaction with Peter, an opportunity, an invitation to trust, an uncertain situation. There's a biblical scholar, his name's R.T. France, who took a closer look at this little exchange that Jesus has with Peter after they come out and they're in the boat. And Peter's like, and Jesus is like, why did you doubt? And if you look closely at it, it's not that Jesus is scolding Peter for a lack of intellectual understanding. The words that he uses in Greek and the context really points towards, instead, for Peter, a lack of personal, practical confidence in Jesus, a lack of relational trust. That's what one of the things Jesus is working on in this passage to move Peter past. That's why he gives him an invitation. Come. Because it's on the water that Peter learns in a new way that he can trust Jesus. You know, even when he's sinking, even when the uncertainty sort of overtakes him, and it's hard to blame Peter. He's doing this ridiculous thing, walking on water. 
And it's not a calm day. It's, it's windy. It's dark. It's at least evening. The sun is at least setting, if not completely set at this point. That, I don't think that I would have the guts to do what Peter did. Maybe some of you would have. So I'm not too hard on him. But even in the moment when he turns from Jesus and looks around, he starts to sink, it's that moment that Jesus reaches out to him. He doesn't let him sink. He grabs him and says, immediately, Jesus reached down and grabbed him. And I think Peter's relationship with Jesus was forever changed through this encounter. I think maybe even more than the walking on the water, it was the rescue. Even when Peter's faithless, Jesus was faithful. That says something to Peter. You know, if you're a person of faith, and there's a lot in this room today, when was the last time your religious certainty was undermined by Jesus? When was the last time you followed him into something uncertain, an unfamiliar situation? You know, and let me just suggest that if your spiritual life right now is kind of meh, meh, if it's kind of flat, if there's not a lot of life there, think about when is the last time you took a risk to follow Jesus into something? You know, I've been in this role as a pastor in some sense since I was 19 years old. I'm 20, I'm 20, right, I'm 41. (laughs) I'm a spring pup here, spring chicken, young pup. You know, I just like to mix my metaphors. You know how it is when you're in your 20s. No, I'm 41. I've been doing this for a while, and I've had more than a few conversations where people say to me, oh, Brad, I just, I, I just want to go deeper. I just want to have a deeper relationship. You know, I want to experience more of God. And so many times we think that we go deeper, and there are some ways that if we're internal, we go deeper. Spiritual practices are very helpful. But a lot of where the depth is, is in the risk. The vitality comes from following Jesus. The vitality comes from answering the invitation, come. The vitality comes from taking a risk, trying something new. When the wind and waves kick up, you dive in. You step out. That's where life is. Life may not be in even more Bible study or more time on your knees, as beautiful and as powerful as those things can be. Generally speaking, depth comes through experience, life experience with Jesus out on the water. Responding to invitations. Probably the most important thing you can do to have vitality in your spiritual life is find ways to try new things, to experiment, to do something risky. Do a faith experiment. Try something new, and if it doesn't work, don't worry about it. Try something else new. But let it stretch you a little bit. Something active that you do, not just think about or sit back and try and experience. You're taking a step out into an uncertain situation, something you haven't done. When was the last time you talked or were open about your faith with your friends? I only bring that one up because I have so many conversations with people who have told me they basically shut down that area of their life when it comes to talking to people outside of a specific religious environment. The 
whole culture seems to be so full of negative pictures of what it means to be a Christian or follow Jesus. Particularly in our part of the world, there aren't a lot of examples of Christians in the news that anyone would ever want to be like. And so when you're at work or you have friends at school or on the block, they're your friends or your good friends, but we shut down that part of our lives because we're afraid of being rejected. Or we don't identify with the bigger image of what it means to follow Jesus is out there. And so we kind of expect that people don't either, who don't even try and follow Jesus per se. So how are they going to treat us? How are they going to respond to us? But here's the thing. Depth of relationship happens in the fertile ground of uncertainty when there's an opportunity to trust where there's some vulnerability. If we shut down parts of our life, there's a certain depth in relationships we're, we're just cutting ourselves off from. So being open about your whole self, being true to who you are, just living and letting people see you for who you are has to happen for there to be some sort of depth. So... It's important not to edit ourselves if we want to have real friendships with people. And I get it. I'm a pastor. I have to lead with following Jesus in so many relationships. People find that out about me up front. That's awkward sometimes. So I know what you're talking about. But if you want to have real friendships with people and you want to be known, you want to have depth, you got to share who you are. And one of the things we're doing today, we have a flyering day. It was strategically placed in this series at this time, at this moment. And there's an element, yes, we just want everyone to know they're welcome at our church. So putting up signs and leaving flyers and stuff like that helps people know, oh, they must want me to come. I must be welcome on some level, right? But there's also this element where it's just a small way to be able to open that part of our lives up again, to stop shutting it down in a really small way. It's worth it. I've actually been hearing some stories about people who have taken these chances. I don't want to tell them to you because I feel like it's better hear from them because they do a much better job. But it's worth it. You can have a real relationship. The best friendships I have with people outside of this community know me through and through. So, uncertainty, fertile ground for deep relationships. And also, I would say this, maybe you're not, wouldn't call yourself a person of faith. It's not that you're not spiritual at all, but you don't particularly identify with anything. Um, this is an important concept. You know, I, I heard this story about Bertrand Russell. I'm assuming that it's true. He um, was a famous uh, atheist in the 20th century. And reportedly on his 90th birthday, a woman was chatting with him and, and asked him, Mr. Russell, she said, you're not only the world's most famous atheist, you may also be the world's oldest atheist. She said, you'll die soon. I don't know if I would ever ask this question. This is pretty bold. But she says, what will you do if, after you die, it turns out God exists? And Bertrand Russell, this is pretty pithy, he responded that he would point his finger at God and say, you, sir, gave insufficient evidence. 
I wish I would have known him. He seems, seems like kind of a fun guy. But let me suggest, if you sort of have a perspective like Bertrand, I get it. And there's a, a, a reason in, that anyone could think in those terms. I think that makes sense in a lot of ways. But perhaps, just perhaps, that a God you might actually want to know or a God that might want to be known by you, someone you'd actually want to relate with, might not open heaven and declare his existence to you in a way that leaves no doubt. Instead, if what we're talking about uncertainty is true, and I think we've experienced this just in human relationships, he, she, it, however you conceive, might deliberately allow for uncertainty so that the way to real depth in relationship would be open. And in this way, uncertainty is actually a gift. Let's look at another way that uncertainty can be a gift. It actually, I think, it stretches us so that we grow. So it's in a context of uncertainty that Peter learns to walk on water, yeah? It's in a context of uncertainty that Peter learns that Jesus is faithful even when Peter is faithless. And it's experiences like this one that Peter really learns what it means to follow Jesus. Sometimes I think there can be a temptation to treat doubt as something to be snuffed out, to be ignored or dismissed. Jesus, however, seems to lead his followers into uncertain situations, to challenge them, to stretch them so that they grow. In fact, it seems like we need uncertainty, we need doubt to keep our faith growing. Doubts, writes Frederick Buechner, sorry, doubts are ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving, right? There's nothing to fear in questions. Nothing to fear in thinking through the tough things about faith that bother you or nag at you. Peter certainly doubted, even after this interaction, we'll get to it, he has a terrible moment where he just denies Jesus to his face, right? But in the end, it's through those moments that depth is built, that he's stretched and he grows. So by the end of his life, he holds on to his faith. He embraces Jesus even to his own death. He becomes the first big leader of the church. He's thrown in jail for Jesus. He never denies him again. But it's almost as if he had to deny him and be re-embraced by Jesus. And we'll see that story. To have the depth of relationship, to grow, to be stretched, so that in the end, at the end of the journey, he was a different person. Having questions in the midst of our faith can actually be helpful Think about this in keeping us balanced in our faith. Uncertainty is a wonderful reminder of the inconvenient truth that we are not God. And we can't know everything. And this can keep us, hopefully, humble. And this can help, help us love and relate to people from all different perspectives without becoming judgmental because we don't know everything. <laughs> And the more we know, the more we know we don't know. And in the end, humbleness and uncertainty 
don't keep us from solid faith, but rather they provide this fertile ground, this breeding ground for this third thing I'm going to talk about, which is the opportunity to make great discoveries. Uncertainty leads to great discoveries. Notice the reaction of Jesus' followers when they see him on the lake. They say that shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Cried out in fear. Have you ever cried out in fear? I've cried out in fear. This, I don't know if this story has any importance at all, but I remember being in Thailand, visiting some friends who were at this elephant refuge. And I was feeding this like two-ton elephant uh, little mini bananas, right? And I was doing it one at a time because I had paid a little bit for the bananas. I wanted to milk it. <laughs> and I'm feeding this. I'm looking up here. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this trunk comes from behind me, grabs the peck or whatever they're called of bananas, rips them out of my hand, undoes my belt, <laughs> leaves a snot ring on my crotch, and I screamed, ah! And all the local people turned and laughed at this six foot four foreigner screaming like a little girl, basically. So they scream like this, I'm sure. It's a ghost. I mean, I've never seen anything that I would think was a ghost. It's probably scarier than a three ton animal mugging you. I don't know. Point being, what is the point? The point is this I feel like God uses these types of situations to help us make discoveries about who we are, how we view the world. So in that day and age, these guys are all fishermen, so they're used to being out on the water. But when you're out on the water with fishermen, you hear the stories, because a lot of mysterious things happen on large bodies of water. Stories of, you know, monsters from the deep, ghosts, people who die, and their spirits hover over the waters. And this was a common part of the culture of the day, particularly in fishing communities. So when they see something or someone walking towards them on the lake, they go to what they know. It's a ghost. Because that's all they've ever known. That's what they were told. You know, all of us have stories, cultural stories that we've been told our whole lives. They're not all about fairies and goddesses and ghosts and stuff like that. Some of them are just stories about how the world works, how God works. And it's when we get in uncertain situations where whatever those stories are, get challenged. Some of them are helpful. Some of them have helped you a lot. But there's aspects of them that may or not be helpful, may or may not be true. And when we're in uncertain times, we get a chance to rethink things like that. And one of the things that happened to me, it hasn't happened quite as much recently, but there's a period of about six to eight months to a year, where about every other month I'd get a, a phone call from someone, and it would be, Brad, we need to talk. Someone from the church. Like, All right, great. And we would sit down, and the first, almost the first thing would be, Brad, I don't know if I can believe in Jesus anymore. And I'd be like, oh, really? Tell me more. What's going on? And what I would find is that again and again, there had been a real something real about connecting to Jesus in this person's life. But as time had gone on, everything that came with that, all the trappings, maybe the system of belief, maybe the culture that came around it, had stopped working in one way or another. And so at this point, with all of those things not working, the question was being asked, well, maybe 
Jesus. Maybe even that experience I had with him, maybe it wasn't real. <clears throat> and generally, I find myself having a couple conversations quite often. One would be me asking, what is it exactly that you think you have to believe? Because there are a lot of things that come to us with Jesus from the way we came up in the world or what people tell us or culture or society. It tells us if you follow Jesus, you have to believe X. Sometimes that's not even true. Sometimes that X, that perspective, that morality, whatever it is, <coughs> it's more creation of culture than it is anything Jesus prescribed. Or maybe it's not quite as clear as it's been presented to you. And there are people from all different... <coughs> Sorry for coughing right into the mic. <coughs> Sorry about that. But there could be lots of variety of, varieties of Christians, even, who believe different things about that one thing that you've been told is only one way. What's really essential about following Jesus? And what are things that are important but people have different perspectives. That's a conversation worth having before you decide, I'm just going to kick the whole thing. Another question I often find myself asking people or involved in a conversation with is, what do you think the story is? So many of us have been given a story with Jesus that doesn't match the story of his life. If you do A, B, and C, you will get D. I did all the right things, I ended up in this situation. I felt like I was sold a bit of bill of goods. Well, if you look at the story of Jesus, he probably did A, B, and C and ended up on a cross. Maybe your story isn't that much different from Jesus' story. And the hope isn't that nothing will go wrong, but that God will redeem the travesties, the disappointments, the mistakes. Maybe that's the story. And the fact that your life ended up here isn't all that different from the experience of Jesus if we really look at his story. Or a lot of other things. So if that's you, start tossing around those questions a little bit before you toss out. Jesus. Or if you're on the front end of faith, there's probably a lot of those types of things, things that you've been told you have to believe to follow Jesus. Maybe you don't have to. And maybe there are some things that are essentials, but what are those things? Do they offend you? And if they do, oh, maybe following Jesus isn't for you, but maybe that's the thing that offends you has nothing to do with Jesus in the end. Has more to do with the culture of the United States. Americans are the U.S. version of Christianity, as it's been retold. Here's what I would suggest. Play with those questions before you discount anything. Take the time. You know, last winter, I, I did this group called Faith Reimagined. In a little bit, I'm going to give you a chance to hear from someone who actually did that with me. It's a group. Seven weeks. This is what we do. No questions are off limits. No conclusions are givens, and it's a judgment-free zone where we can sort of deconstruct everything around Jesus and see if what we're left with is something that's attractive. And it's group-led. I don't have a curriculum. We decide the first week among us what we're going to talk about. And then we contribute to that discussion during the week, and we come back and we have a face-to-face. 
if you're in any of these positions, front end of faith, you know, in the middle of your faith, but really struggling with certain questions or experiences in your life, at the point where you're just thinking about kicking it all, I'd just like to invite you to spend seven weeks with me and a group of people chatting through things with no pressure. We're going to start March 17th. It's just a little over two weeks away or a little less than two weeks. I can't remember. But it'll be here at 7 o'clock. So, where was I? (laughs) So Jesus will use uncertainty to challenge our preconceptions so that we can view him in a new way, just like the folks in the boat here saw Jesus in a new way. You notice in verse 33 it says, Then those who are in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you're a son of God. They came to some great, new, exciting understandings of Jesus in the middle of one of the most uncertain stories in the New Testament. And for the disciples, this was a big moment. But... They didn't come to these discoveries by playing it safe. So like Indy, many people are not attracted to a leap of faith. And I get that. I'm not particularly attracted to a leap of faith. But here's the thing. I think when we say leap of faith, we mean one thing. And the stories of the Bible ask us for something else. I think a lot of times we, we conflate leap of faith with blind faith. Just I'm going to throw myself off the ledge and hope something good happens. But that's not what Indy does in our story. If you remember, he's already gone through two tasks. And he's had this little guidebook that's helped him through it. So he has some reason, some reasonable faith that even though he can't see how stepping out over this chasm was going to work, it's not blind faith because now he has some experience. And so he sticks his foot out, and he takes a step of faith, not a leap. And that's what Jesus asks of Peter as he invites him to step out of the boat. Do you want to see what happens with India, or should I just let that be a non-spoiler? Oh, I got a mixed reaction. Oh, thanks, more water. All right, I'll tell you he does step. And you can rent the movie and see what happens. Sorry, guys. It would have had to be like near 100%. Otherwise, you know, you can't, you can't do that to people. All right. So Peter, though, has already begun at this point to develop a relationship with Jesus. This isn't the first ask. This is down the line. And he has experience to warrant the step of faith that he takes. It's still risky, but it's not blind faith. And this is one reason why it's so important that we actually try something that takes faith. If your faith seems blah, ask yourself, where have I avoided risk or change that I see promoted in the life of Jesus or in the Bible? What have I done that's uncomfortable to follow Jesus? And if you feel like you're on the outside of faith looking in or you're just on the front end, you got to try something. You know, the key word in this whole passage might be if. Peter says, if it's you. So try to live this week as if, if you believe that was all true. Try something. If this was true, I would do this. And remember Peter said, if it's you, Lord, you're doing the same thing. And if we'll try these things, if we'll get out of the boat, if we'll take a step of faith, 
I think we'll find that the uncertainty that we face can actually become an opportunity for deep relationships, for stretching and growth, and for great discoveries. Let's pray. So, Jesus, man, uh, I'm in the same boat with everybody else. And so, as we pray together, I pray for myself that we would take the next step, whatever it is, based on the experience that we've had. And I pray that as we do, somewhere in our hearts and our minds and our souls, we just have a reassurance that even if we start to sink, you'll save us before it's too late. And I pray that our whole lives would develop into this sort of beautiful dance of living in uncertainty, taking steps and finding you in new ways. I pray we'd be able to hand that off and give that experience to other people as well. In Jesus' name, amen.